Hello. Um, I'm Jessica. I am attending community group at the Franklin Park Community Group, and I'm just here to read scripture. Um, if you can turn to Ezra chapter 3, and it'll be verses 10 through 11. Um, I will be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. When the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph holding cymbals, took their positions to praise the Lord as King David of Israel, of Israel had instructed. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, in the name of your son Jesus, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together here as a church, as a community, um, to come and hear your teaching um, and what you have to say to us. Father, I pray that any distractions that we have, anything that's going on, um, that we are able to lay it aside and to hear your word today and to understand you more and to get to know you more, um, that as we know you, we're able to apply it in our life. And I pray over Josh, um, may the words coming out of his mouth just be all of you, um, and may he be able to remove himself and, and speak to us. And all of this I pray in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jessica. Hey, can we give Jessica a round of applause? That was actually Jessica's first time reading scripture here. And so I want to say shout out to her. And that was only Anisha's like second time doing announcements. And uh, Anisha kills it at announcements. I know y'all felt very informed. And I know y'all felt very connected to her. You were like, oh, I've known this person my whole life, despite the fact that you've never met her. All right, just kidding. Most of you met her. But uh, hey, good morning. Can we turn the pad down? I think there's like a pad on in the background. Am I tripping? There is, the Holy Spirit is continuing to uh, move in our midst here. Uh, hey, buenos dias. How's everybody doing today? All right, so that was like pretty good. I'm not going to lie. That was, to be 100% honest, it was better than most of the time when it's like the first shot, you know? Uh, but let's just give it a little more. All right. Uh, who would have known that, uh, who would have known, realistically, I'm being very serious right now. Who would have known that Halloween would produce uh, a good amount of people out of town? And so you guys are the few, the proud, the Halloweeners. And as a, result, as a result, as a result, when I say good morning, I want you to show up like, like, uh, like Marine status and just give me like a wild good morning. How's everybody doing? I don't know why I said good morning and then asked how you're doing. Let's just move on now. So what we're going to do is, uh, hey, I have, actually, before we jump into our time in the Word, I do have a couple of things I wanted to do. One, I wanted to give a shout out to Josh uh, Trunick. Um, yeah, let's go. Anybody that was there last night at the Dove Springs Trunk or Treat event knows exactly why. I tried really hard to get a photo, and I could not find one. I did not have time between last night and this morning. Uh, but, but Josh and Zana, we set up our table. Uh, at the time, it was me, the Salazars, and maybe like, oh, Roxanne was there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this sea of people come in. Uh, and in that sea of people, we see Josh and Zana walking in with a gargantuan Pikachu outfit, an absolutely mad outfit. And then they proceeded to don this, and I'm telling you, I'm going to send a picture of it out to everybody just to make sure everybody knows exactly what I mean. This Pikachu was this big while Ash was this big. 
Um, and, and he proceeded to wear it for the rest of the night. And he had a line of kids in the whole, the whole community was like, it was like, it was like people's, all right, people's like group chats exploded because they were like, yo, you got to get down here. There's a massive Pikachu. And they came in and they, they lined up like crazy. All right, I'm buying Josh lunch today. And I just wanted to give a shout out to that man because he, he made the children of Dove Springs extremely happy. All right. And the other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, is next week. Okay, uh, Celebration Sunday, I'm, I'm praying that it's going to be a great time. Again, it's a time where we celebrate new life. Um, we're welcome, welcoming in uh, some new members. Okay, so we give a little, little round of applause for those new members. They are uh, universally almost, that whole class, again, is, is out of town right now. Save these two young women. Uh, and so we're shouting out them today uh, while we, we pray the rest of them get home safely. Uh, and so, yeah, wanted to make sure that we knew about that. Like, just want you to be excited about it. And if you have uh, just the time and the energy, like, be praying this week for the new life that we're going to celebrate that day, right? Whether it be babies, whether it be new members, new ministries that will kick off. Like, man, all of it is, is serving to this greater purpose uh, to help us really accomplish what we believe God has put in front of us in terms of seeing our community, like Southeast Austin, like shaped uh, by the love of Jesus. And so that's going a long way. We want to encourage you uh, to get excited about that and be praying about that as we uh, come up to this week. All right, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump into our time in the Word. Uh, and what we mean by that is we're going to continue our time in worship by jumping into the Word. We believe that this is the time where we get to worship God. How? By opening the Bible and by allowing the Holy Spirit to, to move on our hearts as we explore these words. And today we're going to continue a series uh, that we have going on in the book of Ezra. Right? A sermon series is just us coming together to, to work through a book of the Bible and, and understand it more. And, and really, I have loved this time because Ezra is one of those books where if you were to take the story of Ezra and you were going to try to like, like kind of look at it from a, a kind of 50,000-foot uh, perspective, it's a story that really does kind of represent or, or embody the bigger story of what's happening in the Bible at large. It's this story of a redeeming, loving, faithful God, right, uh, restoring uh, this people that have been in exile in darkness for, for years and then giving them a restored purpose. And really, that's like a lot of what's happening in, in Christianity. And so the, the two stories really overlap. And, and that's why when we thought about what we wanted to talk about through uh, some of this fall, later fall, Ezra was really high on my list. I happen to probably be naming my, my son Ezra. Uh, that's neither here nor there. That wasn't that didn't influence my decision at all, guys. Okay, um, and so yeah, we, it's an extraordinary book, and, and we've been working through it for two weeks now, coming on the third week, and in this third week, we're gonna start exploring chapter three. But up until this point, we've seen a couple of really fun things happen. We've we've seen in the first chapter, right from the get go, there is. By the way, this uh, floor up here is wildly slick. It's not usually this slick. And I am moving around very, very gingerly because I do not want to fall in front of y'all. I'm really trying hard not to fall. So, um, yeah, we, during week one, we saw the beginning of this book, right, where we get this invitation into this story where God moves on the heart of a new king uh, called Cyrus. This king has conquered the former king, or the former kingdom called Babylon, and now this new king is moved to say, hey, all of the people that we've held captive here, all the people that we've conquered, I want y'all to go back home. I want y'all to head back home. I want you to go do what you do. And for the Israelites, he has specific language. He says, a Hebrew people, I want you to go back home. I want you to go back home because I feel like God, maybe he's even calling me to, to build a house for your God. Okay? 
So all of a sudden, everyone starts getting packed up. Everyone starts getting excited, and they head out. And so we see right from the get-go that we're going to see this story of this redeeming God bringing his people out of exile, out of this dark place where they're amongst all these uh kind of like pagan people, right, is the language of the Old Testament. This, these people that are away from God, have no desire for God, and all of a sudden they're out, right, they're doing, but they're, they're probably constantly putting pressure on the Israelite people to conform to their ways of life. Yet God, in his power, in his justice, in his love, in his mercy, brings them out of that situation and says, in essence, I'm going to give you back the purpose of knowing me, of worshiping me, and of connecting with me. but I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to bring you back to this purpose of, of worshiping me. And so that was just through chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, we get one of those big lists, one of those Leviticus lists, you know what I mean, where it's just like a bunch of stuff. It's just a bunch of stuff and names you can't pronounce. And you're kind of like, man, I mean, I'm going to skip over this chapter, right? Like everybody knows you get to like right around February to March in your Bible reading plan, you get to like Deuteronomy, and all of a sudden everybody's like, uh, and you start falling off. That's what, Levit that's what, what Ezra 2 was like. But we saw that. Man, that, that showed us how God is moving on these people's lives, that there was an invitation of restoration. It wasn't a deportation by King Cyrus, but, but it was an invitation to go back home, and, and they had to pick up and actually do it. They had to pick up and actually go home. So in our lives, a lot of the times, we have invitations of, of God's restoration in front of us. God is inviting us into, into spaces where he wants to see some restoration happen in our lives. But the reality is, like the Israelites in Ezra, we have to accept that invitation. And it's going to require maybe some labor. It's going to require some effort. Maybe it's going to require some repentance or some humility. But, but that invitation is one where God can do some really powerful work. Now, as we enter into chapter 3, uh, a little bit of a subtle change happens, something that's really, really beautiful. We're going to not really uh, kind of do things the way a lot of the other Old Testament stories and even a lot of the New Testament stories work. You see, in Ezra 3, we get this really beautiful transition from um, individuals that we're following, like King Cyrus, or maybe in the other parts of the Old Testament, like Abraham or Moses. And we're going to transition into really the focus being on the community of people that are called the Israelites, right? And, and this is actually a really powerful shift. It's a really important shift. It's going to happen again in the Bible a little bit later. We'll talk about that later. But, in fact, it's so important that I found a really nice quote for it, okay? And this quote is by a man named Christopher J.H. Wright. And if you want to read anything about the Old Testament, I want to encourage you to pick up a Christopher J.H. Wright book of any kind, any shape, form, or fashion, because the man is a genius, all right? But uh, in his commentary on Ezra and Nehemiah, he writes this, right? Indeed, whereas the earlier Old Testament narratives highlight charismatic individual leaders, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, and so on, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah make a subtle shift from leaders to community. The role of Ezra and Nehemiah is crucial and catalytic, of course. Nevertheless, we are clearly meant to be impressed that it is the community working together to rebuild the wall. It is the community that rejoices at the completion of both the temple and wall. It is the community that calls Ezra to read the law. It is the community that makes professions of collective obedience. There's, an argue, there's even an argument that with the failure of the Davidic monarchy, ethic, ethically, and now also historically, there was no king in Jerusalem, the community itself has become the heirs of the promise to David. Now, all the theology nerds, you're nerding out on that at the moment. But for those of you that aren't theology nerds, and that's okay, you don't have to be, what that means is that there is this beautiful transition from these individuals, uh, how God is engaging with the community is often through these individuals. But now in Ezra, there seems to be this transition and this move 
right, to this space where all of a sudden God is really engaging and calling a whole community into relationship with him, right, the people. And now the people are going to be the ones that are doing the work. The people are going to be the ones that are calling each other upwards. The people are going to be the ones that are like, like calling each other to God and inviting him and seeking God. It's no longer, right, the character of the story, this main character that comes and says, hey, people, you got to follow God. But now it's God himself interacting with God's own people. And God's own people are responding by faithfully following him and saying, I love you. I want to follow you. And it really starts to tease out. This isn't on a slide, Misty, so I'm sorry. You really, it really starts to tease out even in the New Testament how, how like Paul starts to use language like I've given you gifts like pastors and apostles and, uh, and X, Y, and Z. I didn't forget them, just got time. Uh, but, and all of a sudden he starts using language like, hey, I'm giving these to you so that, so that the church can do the work of ministry. Not so that those four or five people can do the work of ministry, but so that they can equip the church to love each other, to serve one another, to connect with God together, right? This is starting to build that scene thousands of years earlier. And so, or, or hundreds of years earlier. And so this is a really beautiful moment and a subtle shift. And what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to look at chapter 3, and we're going to tease out a couple of ideas of how that community looks and what that people are, uh, is starting to look like. And so there's two ideas that I want us to take away as we start to think about the community of Ezra. We need to think of them as a people. Um, I kind of forgot the first one. A unified people and then a worshiping people. Right? These are the two ideas we're going to work from. Because in this chapter, we're going to pull out Right, and we're going to see that God is calling into the specific things. And God's going to call them to a specific purpose. God's going to call them to a specific destiny. And right away, all of a sudden, they have to have certain characteristics. These characteristics become paramount to what's happening. Right, a unified people and a worshiping people. Let's get started real quick. Now, we're going to start off with a unified people. And we're going to start there just in Ezra 3, verse 1 again. Ezra 3, verse 1 says this. When the seventh month arrived and the Israelites were in their towns, the people gathered as one in Jerusalem. Now, if you can leave that verse up there, uh, Misty, that, that verse real quick, it, uh, the, second, the, the second page. Um, they're gathered together as one. Oh, it was the first one. I'm sorry. Gathered together as one. <laughs> I really want to focus on Jerusalem today, God. Um, but now we go back to the past one, the, the, the one before that. Uh, as one here, okay, this word quite literally means they gathered as one body. It was a phrase that communicated more than just getting together. They gathered together with a sense of unity and togetherness that was uncommon to just like a gathering of friends, right? It wasn't just this idea of getting together and, and kind of coming together to kind of listen to something new, but they gathered together as, as one people, meaning they had, they had one identity. They had one outlook. They had one experience. You're talking not just about a group of people that didn't get together, like we're going to get together on Halloween tonight or tomorrow, right, or on Thanksgiving or Christmas. You're talking about a people that had gone through centuries, right, decades of, of, of hardship in this exile, that had gone through, through centuries of, of historical, like, narratives they had together in, in Egypt, and God had just recently restored them and provided them a way out, and all of a sudden they're coming together, not just like, oh, yeah, man, that was cool, but coming together of, like, man, can you believe who we are? Can you believe what God has done for us? There's a unity together in them that's far beyond just like, hey, you want to get together and like, I don't know, like play cards or play a board game. There's a sense of, man, this is special. We're special together because of what he's done. This isn't common. This isn't normal. God told us he would deliver us. And here we are, right, back where we came from, where we've been hoping we would be this whole time. There's a, there's a uniqueness to this unity. There's a uniqueness that marks God's people. Right, a togetherness that says, man, where, where we've come from, the darkness that we've 
we've been in and how God has delivered us, that's unique to you and I. The fact that we've seen and heard the voice of God and he said, you're mine, I love you. And all of us left the boats and left the nets and said, man, I'm gonna follow you. Like, like that's a unique story, friend. You're part of a group of people that have been called by Jesus and have responded in love and said, man, I, I wanna go. That's powerful, that's beautiful. And this is a requirement. This is going to be necessary for what's going to come next is we're going to read a lot of hard stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Everybody's going to go, oh, gosh. Right? No, no, no. Like, we're going to read some challenging stuff, but I promise, like, it, there's going to feel like a backbone to it, and a lot of it is going to be rooted in this. Now, here's some things we see on the united front with the, with the Hebrew people in this chapter, though, right? A, a unified people, there's a couple of truths I want to really just, just drill down on here. A unified people means that, that God shapes us in community. Right after we get done knowing uh, that, that there's a, a, a gathering of the Hebrew people, all of a sudden we right after that in verses 2 through 7 read how they start worshiping, how they do worship practices right away. The first thing they do is set up an altar. And in setting up an altar, they begin to offer sacrifices. And it says they do this despite the fact that they're kind of scared of the people that are around them. They're kind of like shaking up thinking like, man, Y'all don't like us here. Y'all have grown accustomed to life here. Without us, we're just coming back in. You're worshiping other gods. You're doing what you want to do. We came back right to where the old stuff was. We started building these altars on the foundations of where they used to be. And now we're offering sacrifices. And to be frank, we're a little, we're a little worried. In verse 3, we're going to cover the fact in a second that, like, man, they, they actually were very concerned. It wasn't like they were like, oh, they didn't go in there, like, proud. Like, I'm in, in y'all space. They went in there like, man, I hope y'all don't kill us. You know, like. There was a concern there, and yet God shapes them in the midst of that, right? Through community, they begin to point one another to the very God that had restored them in Egypt, to the very God that had restored them just a few weeks prior, and now they're, they're setting their eyes upon this God, and it's stirring their faith. It's stirring their hope. Friends, God shapes you in community. That's where he shapes you. That, that's where he does his best work. I know that for some of us, we value quiet time. I don't know, for some of us, you're introverts. I don't know that a lot of us got all these different reasons. I don't know why I shuffled like that, but we got all these different reasons why we, we don't need to be in community or why community can feel superfluous for us, right? But in reality, friend, all them, all them are just excuses. Because the reality is no matter if you're an introvert, then you should meet with one or two people. If you're an extrovert like me, then you want as many people in your house as you can fit at one time possible, right? But, but that's where God shapes you. That's where God molds you because it takes other believers surrounding you in order to say, look at that God. When you're intimidated, when you're fearful, right, when, 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 all, when it feels like the walls of life are, are pressing down on you. And like the Israelites in exile, there's a temptation to turn to things that you know are sinful, that you know aren't right, that you know aren't of God. But there's that whisper of saying, man, but it'll make it better. You need the community of faith surrounding you going, let's worship God. Right? Now, maybe not let's sing to him, maybe not let's read the Bible, but even just the simple encouragement, trust God. Trust God. He loves you. Right? Man, that goes, that's powerful for people. It's powerful for us. God shaped us in community. This is why we obnoxiously talk about community groups. Right? It's why we obnoxiously talk about this. Why? Because we want our church to grow. I mean, I do, but, like, but no, that's not the main reason. The main reason is because we, we fundamentally think that, like, community is where God begins to shape you, right? That a lot of the language you'll, you'll see us use is that God, God works in our lives while we're following him together, right? That this idea that in community, God shapes us. And specifically in this context, for, for Ezra 3, he shapes us in two ways. First, community reminds us of our story. 
a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that, man, like, like you got to plug into a story. If you have, like, this question about how King Cyrus arrived at the idea to actually, like, let people go, and you were like, well, he let out all the, the conquered people go, right? I'd be like, yeah, he really did. Like, it wasn't like it was unique to Israel. He let everybody go. It was just a good political move. Hey, I'm the new king. I don't want to cause any, any beef. I'm going to go ahead and let all the conquered people go so that y'all can go out there and y'all can settle down and then we can have a peaceful kingdom, right? So all of a sudden, oh, man, where are, like, all the heads turned that way, um, right? So all of a sudden, it seems like a normal thing, yet when we're reminded of the fact that God had promised what it would mean to, for him to restore his people, that God had already said, yeah, I'm sending you into exile, but, but I'll bring you back out again. They looked at, at King Cyrus's declaration not as, a, not as a simple political move. They saw it as the plan of God unfolding before them. Why? Because they were in the story. They were in what was happening. Friend, in your life, man, I don't know how God is moving. But I promise you, there, there are probably means by which he's moving that you probably don't see or at least you don't pay attention to or at least maybe we're not valuing. Yet, when we're plugged into the story, we're reminded of the fact that the hand of God is at work in every situation and in every moment. So all of a sudden, what seems like simple coincidence, when you're plugged into the story, it reminds us that God is at work and it encourages the heart. Right? It gives strength to the heart. Man, community reminds us of our story. This is what happens in, in verses 10 and 11 when they're like, hey, they, they built the temple. They laid the foundation at least. And they start to remind themselves, man, we're, we're headed out. Like, we're, we're on the way. This is going to happen. We're going to worship here. It's coming. Why? Because this is our story, and God is leading us. But in addition, the unified people in community, community reinforces our identity. Right? As we get to the final verses, there is this wailing in the community. I, all right, if I read it from the Bible, can y'all just listen? It ain't going to be up there. It's going to be old. We're going we're to do it like in the times where there wasn't a TV up here. We're just going to read the Bible, and you're going to hear it. Cool? All right, let's give that a try. Right? In, in 12 and 13, there's this unique thing that happens. In verse 12, it, it says, but many of the older priests, when, when seeing that the foundation of the temple was laid, it says, but many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. But many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping. Because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard far away. In that moment when they finished laying this foundation, right, there's people that, that have never seen the temple ever. And they look and go, man, like, it's amazing that God is doing this. And then there's a group of people that, that maybe were small children and had seen uh, the way it was before and they start weeping and there's this weird tension present right away of people that saw what it was like before and recognize we're never going to have that again and there's this weird tension of people looking forward and saying but we will have something new friend that's a healthy tension that's a good tension the Lord hears and experiences and knows that sorrow, and he comforts those that are sorrowful. And the Lord sees that excitement and hope, and he reinforces it with strength and with courage. And in the midst of both of them, there's this upward look that, that sees the comforting God, comforting uh, the weak and, and the sorrowful, 
and, and, a, and a powerful, sovereign, incredible God pushing forward the story into the future. And in the midst of it, there's one group that comes together and says, we're God's people. The weak, the strong, the loud, the quiet, right? The, the, the forceful, the meek, uh, the fat, the skinny, the tall, the short, you name it, right? Why? Because your identity is built on what this God has done for you, not on what you can do for this God. And so the, the courageous aren't God's people, and the weak are not God's people. The ones who see what the Lord has done on their behalf, those are God's people. And that worship him in response and follow him, that's God's people. The ones that, that nestle up to him and say, man, I love you. Help me, lead me, like conquer and lead the way. Console my heart in the midst of my sorrow. Those are God's people. And they look like all kinds of different ways. They look like all kinds of different ethnicities, look like all kinds of different cultures, look like all kinds of different languages, all kinds of different experiences. But together, when we're together and we see the full host of what it means to be a human, loved by God and restored by God, we're reminded that it's nothing that we do that can actually produce God's love and affection for us. It's only who he is. It's only what he's done. It's only that truly the, the gracious and loving king is present with his people. And he's present with the ones that are excited and he's present with the ones that are discouraged. And, and all of a sudden, he, he's the king of all. Right? Community reinforces our identity because it reminds us, man, God is the one who marks us as love, not us. We're not worthy because of what we've done. We're worthy because of who we are and who he is, right? A unified people does this, and this is what's necessary in Ezra. And hear me, this leads to the second aspect. Intimately connected to this is the fact that they're unified people, but because they're unified people under what God has done, they're also a worshiping people, right? Because they're unified under what God has done, they're also a worshiping people, um, No, let me agree that because honestly, this whole section is like, it's the rest of the book. So the rest of the book, we just see them worshiping God. Like that's really what they came together and did. They got freed. The Lord like worked his, his magic, right? Like, and all of a sudden King Cyrus was like, yo, y'all go home and build a temple. And they were like, this is crazy. So they started like offering sacrifices and giving money. And they were like, man, God's moving. So I might as well respond. And, and so they started worshiping. And one of the things we, we see from a worshiping people Right? One of the characteristics is that they believed that God was worthy. They believed God was worthy of worship. In the unity of what it meant to be together, they probably even reinforced together he's worthy. How do we know this? Just take a look at verse 11. In verse 11, they come together and they start to sing a specific song. In verse 11, it says, They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. They believe that God is worthy of praise, right? Even if some of them didn't, they were surrounded by a community reinforcing the truth that he was because they were all shouting it together. Can I be honest with you? Let's be honest together for a second. Just a little while ago, I was like, yo, sometimes we go through hard weeks. Some of us come in here discouraged. We want to encourage you to worship God no matter where you are. Bring in everything from your weekend, not leaving it at the door. We don't believe that. We believe that you bring the fullness of who you are and what you're going through in here, and you bring that to the Lord's feet. That's what we do. That's what God's people do. But if we're being honest in that situation, some of us go through hard stuff, and we forget, maybe even we don't believe, that God is worthy of praise. Sometimes we look at God and we're like, man, what are you doing? Are you even just? 
hear me. The Bible is littered with these thoughts. It's not like we do this and it's like, yo, that's super sinful. What are you doing? The Bible is littered with these thoughts. The Bible is littered with people looking and being like, God's going to let the, ju- the, the unjust just prosper out here. Like, that's how they respond sometimes. Like, things go bad and they're like, man, God doesn't even, he doesn't even hear me crying. Like, that, that's how people regularly respond to God. And that's how we respond to God. We're not above the psalmist. We're not above uh, Habakkuk. We're not above these great characters in the Bible that were filled with faith, that heard from God, and yet had moments where they were like, who are you? Who are you really, though? Because I know who you say you are, but I'm having trouble believing who you are right now. And then you enter into a community of people that lift up their voice and say, man, he's worthy. His, his love and his goodness, they endure forever. I love when we together sing that song, uh, Good, Good Father. And in the middle, there's that part that just starts going, he's perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. And then it feels like you just sing that on repeat. That's all the whole thing is. Like the whole middle, what is it called? A bridge? The whole bridge of the song is just saying you're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways us. How many of us need that in those moments? How many of us come in and we're mad discouraged, right? Because your life has been crappy. And all of a sudden you hear a host of people. You hear a group of people. You hear one other person singing, you're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways to us. It's done my heart good a few times. And it's also made me question the things that I think and feel a few times. And that's good. That's okay. But worshiping people, they believe that God was worthy. They encourage one another that God was worthy. But here's the other thing. They worship, as a result of being a worship people, they worship God and not people. As we said in verse 3, there is this fear present of the other people around them. Look at, look at verse 3. Uh, in Ezra chapter 3. It says, They set up the altar on its foundation and offered burnt offerings for the morning and evening on it to the Lord, even though they feared the surrounding peoples. Again, there was this, they were just surrounded by foreign nations. Then foreign nations were like, yo, what are y'all doing here? Can we, then like, did the Babylonians get rid of y'all? And now y'all just stroll back in building altars and thinking y'all somebody. Y'all, uh, they, were, they, they didn't like them there. And to be fair, like maybe they had some reason. They built some lives in X, Y, and Z, and, and there was animosity present. There was this sort of anger, this sort of enemy-like context to their relationship. Hear me, some of us in here, you listen to what I'm saying, and you're like me, you don't really care, right? You ain't no people pleaser. I ain't no people pleaser. I'd be getting into arguments with everybody. So I'm like, when, I, when, I, when I'm not on my Jesus, when I'm not on my Jesus, anybody's open. Everybody's fair game for an argument, and some of you might get strays, right? When I'm on my Jesus, Jesus is like trying to rein it in, and he's like, hey, be peaceful, brother, you know, X, Y, and Z. But, but some of you, some of you, this is extraordinarily hard to, to comprehend because the reality is, like, deep down inside, there's this voice and there's this story that tells you everyone that you know has to love you and accept you and approve of you. And all of a sudden, the worship of this God is exchanged with the worship of these people. And any one of these folks that looks at you and says, man, I don't really like what you do there. 
is a person that that now now is like condemning you in some way, and your response is to be like, um, yeah, well, I'm not really like that into like the Christian thing, or I'm not really like that into like the, like I don't got to go to church, like I, I, all of a sudden there's just little, um, the word just left me. We can we uh, concede little things just to make sure that everybody is okay with us, that everybody's all right with us, that everybody approves of us. And yet, as they worship God, as they set their eyes on who He is, all of a sudden, man, they're they're able to be empowered. That idea of like, hey, y'all don't like us, y'all don't believe with us, y'all don't worship this God. And to be honest, for a lot of us, that scares us, and we're gonna worship Him anyway. We're gonna worship Him anyway because we love Him. And he loves us. He's delivered us. And we're back in a place that we never thought we would be. He's faithful. He's good. And so we're going to worship. And you could be mad. They believe he's worthy. And because they believe he's worthy, and they remind each other that he's worthy, they put themselves in a position where they're, they're able to press against those feelings of, of pleasing others, of, of being like, like at being vulnerable to, to just what other people think of them, and they're able to, to worship God and to faithfully love and follow him, despite the fact that they're surrounded by people that are like, we, we don't approve of you. We don't agree with you. So they worship God, not people. But then a last one that we can't see here, but that is important to know, is that their worship is meant to bless other people. So the very people that they're scared of and they're intimidated, and they feel a little bit scared by, but they're still worshiping, are the very people that their worship is meant to bless. You're like, where's that in Ezra 3? But, but it's really the theme of what worship is in general in the Bible. You see, even we go back to the very beginning of what these people Israel were called to be, back with a man named Abraham, who they consider the father of their faith. There's a narrative and a story that God is planning to tease out and to tell through this man Abraham and it's not a story of how he can, can, can completely cut off a people from the rest of the world, but rather how he wants to bless the world through a people. It's the very same story that was present in Genesis when he's like, hey, I made you in my image, and, and I want you to go, and I want you to, to take the world, right? And I want you to make something beautiful out of it, the same way he does it with, with Abraham. And in fact, this happens in Genesis chapter 12 where we get this really vivid moment uh, where God speaking uh, to Abraham says this. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. He continues in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth who be, will be blessed through you. This is the story that God calls Abraham. And he calls through Abraham a people, and that people are meant to be a blessing to the rest of the world. As they worship God, as they connect with him, they're meant to display God's character, to show the depth of God's love, and through them to be a blessing to the world. Now, here's the thing. We're in the middle of a story where that's a little bit hard at the moment. Because the Israelites in, in Ezra, they've been tripping, and they've been tripping hard. And so their, their worship has really fallen off. And they're no longer submitting to God. They're no longer loving God. They're no longer faithfully following God. And, and as a result, they've, they've strayed from the path, and God has corrected them. He's 
sent them into a place where, where he's chastised them in a lot of ways. He's disciplined them out of great love, and he sent them into another country. And now he's brought them out, and he's restored them to a purpose. And that purpose is himself. That purpose is worshiping him, is connecting with him. It's restoring them to the story. To what story? The story of, of them being his people, right, and he being their God, and through them, God blessing the world. And here's the thing, that, that's not a story that stops here. That's not a story that stops with Ezra. In fact, when we move into the New Testament, that's a story that includes you. You think about uh, a text like Galatians, right? In Galatians in chapter 3, in verse 7, you have, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Those who are in the faith, those who have faith in Jesus, that's Abraham's sons. Now, the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of them, ahead of time, to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. And so for Paul, all the way in the future, he sees the people of God, the Gentiles, the Jews, the church at large, coming together and being a continuation of God's story through the Israelites and through Abraham and through the, the Israelites that we see in Ezra and, and then later on through, through the, the people who were underneath the Roman government and all the way through to you and I today. That this simple word, I'm calling you from your land and sending you so that you'll be a blessing to the nations, that this would be a, a call and a command that would come down to even you and I. That, that even you and I, when we're reconciled to God and we know him, when we start to follow him, we start to worship him, that this would be an invitation to say, take, take what I've given you, take the depths of what you know of my goodness, take the love that you've experienced from me and enter into the world, enter into the world around you and show it. Display it, serve others. Right, love others, build up the communities around you, right? Seek the shalom, this idea from Jeremiah while they were in Babylon to seek the wholeness of a community. This is the story that we're in, that God is redeeming the world, friend. God is redeeming the world and he's restoring the world and he's bringing justice to injustice and he's bringing wholeness to brokenness and he's bringing beauty from ashes, but he's doing it through a message that's transferred not through the air like a sickness, but through the voices of people who carry it with them and live it out in their lives, his people. His people in the world, bringing the light of the world into the world to bless the world and to restore the world. That's the story we're in. That's the story you're in. That's the story you're participating in. That's the story Josh Trunick is, is expressing when he spends two hours inside of a baking Pikachu outfit so that he could see some kids smile while they get a Reese's and a Snickers. That's the story. That's what it means. To follow Jesus isn't just to say I come to church and I sing some songs. It's to embody the very character of God so that when we're sent out into the world, we can show the world the beauty of who he is, care for it the way he would care for it, love it the way he would love it, and see it cultivated, renewed, and restored the way he desires to. That's the story you're in. That's the story I'm in. That's why we planted this church. That's why we're here. That's why you're listening to me right now. That's the story. Their very worship their very worship, worshiping God, was meant to bless the people around them. The very people that they were scared of, their very worship was meant to bless. It was meant to display God's goodness, God's character. Now, here's the thing. I forgot to start a timer, so I don't know where I'm at on time. <laughs> but we're almost done here. For a lot of us, we hear that. And for some of us, we never even thought about Christianity like that. And so you're like, uh, that's a little weird. I thought I just said a prayer about God forgiving me, and then I kind of like went out in the world, and, and now I was like reconciled to God, and that was it. And now I'm sitting here, and I'm like, yeah, you're reconciled to God, and you're forgiven so that you can be sent out to be a blessing. That's your job now. 
He wanted to display his character in the world. Not to avoid darkness, but not to avoid darkness and gather around a campfire, but rather to be like an arrow, like a fiery flaming arrow sent into the darkness to pierce the darkness. That's what you are. Not the group of people around a campfire being like, oh, we're scared of the dark, but running into the dark saying there's light. Right? That's our story. That's who we are. And, and you hear that, and some of you get excited, too. Some of you are like, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to serve the message. So you're like, I'm going to go be like a good volunteer. I'm going to sign up. Like, what does this church do for the community? I'm going to sign up for that. And then you're like, you get excited, and you're like real pumped up. And then you go out there, and you're like, yo, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to help out. You're going to get involved in the mentoring program, which we just did this Friday here at Houston. And if you want to serve in it, you should definitely sign up. All right, so quick plug for that. All right, you're going to mentor here. You're going to do all these other things. And, and, and let me tell you, lovingly, that's, that's not enough. That's not enough. Because you running out there and being like, I'm going to be a great citizen doesn't mean I'm going to be a great worshiper. Just means I'm going to be a great citizen. And, and people are capable of that. People do that in incredible ways. That's great. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. What makes this different for them is that it, from the beginning of the story, the idea of blessing the world has always been linked to the idea of loving God and worshiping God. And through loving him, being loved by him, being shaped by that love, and caring in a way that Jesus would, and then inviting people to know the love of that very Jesus. Right? That's the story of the world. The end point, when we get to, to the end of this theme of, of, of the nations being blessed by God, it, it's when everyone comes into this big, this big place, right? Glory, heaven, some of us call it. New creation, maybe another word. And, and all these different diverse peoples are together singing to God, and they're reconciled, and they're restored. And then all of a sudden, God is like, there's no more weeping, there's no more crying, there's no more mourning, there's no more none of that. That's the end of the story that we want. That's even the story that we're hoping for, that we're anticipating. And the core of how you get there, the core of how we get there is through a relationship with Jesus, is through knowing him, being loved by him, and him seeking that restoration in all our lives, and therefore through us for the rest of the world, right? That, that's what it means. This idea of being a, a good person and blessing the world in the scriptures is directly linked to what it means to worship God. Why? Because it starts not by saying, how can I love others? But it starts by asking, how deeply am I loved? So if you walk out of here and go, how can I love other people without first knowing the, the answer to the question, how, how deeply am I loved? Man, you, you'll never fully understand what it means to love other people because you'll never understand exactly how deeply you are loved. And that's why this, this whole idea to be a unified people, to be a worshiping people, it starts with understanding the crux of the story in the person of Jesus. It starts with the crux of the story. It, it starts with us seeing not just that God wants to save and wants to restore, but that he has saved and he has restored. When he himself entered into the story of, of re rebelling, angry, dark people, right? Exiled in our own ways, exiled into the dark, exiled living in our own, like, like selfish ambitions is the word the scriptures would call it, right? Like, like living for ourselves. Some of us living very selfishly, some of us living very generously, but maybe with a selfish undertone. And, and all of a sudden, he, he enters into that story, and he takes the darkness on, and he takes the sin on, the sin in the world and the sin in us, all so that he can restore uh, another type of people. Not the Israelites in, in Babylon anymore, but rather, right, the, the people of Austin, Texas. And he invites us into this relationship with him, and, and he shows us the depths of his love, and he shows us the care of his heart, and he sends us out with that equipped to, 
to love, to connect with God, and to grow a family and to serve the city. He sends us out with that, but, but we don't reach there until we understand the depths of what it means to be loved by him first. To, to see what it means for God on the cross to say it's finished, for God on the cross to say I love you, for God on the cross to say forgive those who sin against you, right? Like, man, like you don't understand what love looks like until you experience what that love means for you. And the only place we see it is when we look at the cross and we see Jesus saying this is for you. And so if you want to get to the, the, the answer to the question, how deeply am I loved, friends? I want to encourage you today to look at Jesus. I want to encourage you today to look at Jesus. I want to encourage you today that every time you ask that question that you would look at Jesus, that you would come back to the man on the cross, that you would come back to the man on the cross, that you would come back to the man on the cross displaying the depth of God's love, right, that, that Jesus would die for us before we even knew him. Right? That's the biggest example of God's love. The king, right, of the world enthroned on his throne by being hung on a cross for you and for me so that he can display a love that we respond to and that we would be restored to him so that we could get sent out to continue that story. That's what we're here for today. And that's what we're doing today. And so if, if you're here, my invitation is I want us to be a unified people and I want you to be unified with us. I want us to encourage one another and point us to the story and point us to our identity. I want us to be a worshiping people that reminds each other that God is worthy, right? I want us to be a worshiping people that, that can fight off those temptations from around us to be conformed to the world, but rather to serve and love God. But I also want us to be a people that go out and love the world and, and, and really serve the world and display God's love and, and see God's restoration happen all around us, especially in Southeast Austin. But I gotta tell you, it, it starts with us worshiping Jesus. It starts with us knowing his love. It starts with us responding to his love. And it starts with us, even as we connect with him, not just to be like, hey, God, thank you, help us, X, Y, and Z. Or even, hey, God, thanks for what you do. It starts with even in your simple prayers, just to start with something as simple as, God, I love you. God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. That's where I want us to start today. So as we think about what it means to look like this people, we're going to go from here into a time of worship, and I want you to just worship Jesus. We're going to turn them lights off again so that you, you don't see nobody and no one really sees you and you have your little privacy. And I just want you to worship God. I want you to worship Jesus. I want you to respond to what he's done and the depth of how much he loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You know what? God, I love you. God, I love you. I love you for who you are, your faithfulness that is shown all through this story, your faithfulness that's shown in the lives of the people in front of me and the faithfulness that, that's shown in my own story. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, I love you. We love you. And we're gathered here as a people that desire to worship you. And so meet us here, Father. Let your spirit meet us here. Let us be shaped and formed as we worship you. Let us be unified under the, the truth of what you've done. Let us be sent into the world equipped with your love, Father. Meet us here and let us worship you. Let us worship you and, and, and exalt your name and, and sing of how good you are and remind us of the depths of your love for us so that as we move from this place, we go back home and we go back into the office and we go back to everywhere else that we have, uh, you know, 
to go through our weeks and through our lives, that we would be settled and nestled into a story of love, a great redeemer that has entered into our story in the person of Jesus in order to deliver us from darkness and to remake and restore the world. Father, that's what you're doing here. Father, let our heart enter into that story as we worship you today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.